Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Good afternoon or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it's not live, because it's a podcast. We're here, ladies and gentlemen. It's Thursday. It is NFL opening day. We have arrived, people, and it is fantastic. I cannot stop smiling this morning, and I am so excited to kick off the 2021 NFL season with all of you tonight. Tampa Bay takes on Dallas and we are previewing the game here tonight. We've got our buddy RJ Oshoa from SB Nation's Dallas Cowboys page joining us to break down the game here in a little bit. But first, let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because last year, little before this exact date, actually it was the Friday following the first game of the NFL season, I came on this very podcast talking about how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were masters of illusion, how they had everyone convinced that they could be a legitimate championship threat and were a very good team, but they would probably win 10 or 11 games, play in the wild card maybe win a wild card game against a lesser opponent, and then they would be bounced in the second round. And everything I had said about Tampa Bay was going very smoothly until Tom Brady did the thing that Tom Brady does, which, I mean, honestly, is unbelievable when you think about how many people he's prevented from winning over the years and his Patriots and now Buccaneers teams where Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, and Patrick Mahomes all get stopped by Tom Brady en route to a championship. Like that gauntlet that he went through, his generation's defining players, and the one at, or the generation after him more so. The fact that he retired t- Drew Brees, a year before retired Phillip Rivers, retired Aaron Rodgers unofficially, and then beat Patrick Mahomes for the championship was an unbelievable stretch at 43. And so that was when I started becoming wrong and started becoming angry. And at a certain point, you just have to laugh at it because it's truly, truly unbelievable what happened with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this year is a different run for Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is now one of the perennial favorites in the NFL. And this is not just because they're the defending Super Bowl champions. Like conventional wisdom says, you know, they just won the championship, therefore they're the best team. Tampa Bay is the beneficiaries of the New Orleans Saints' 
window closing and the shortening window of the Green Bay Packers. It doesn't mean that the Packers window is closed altogether. This is just now the third year of Aaron Rodgers, Matt Lefleur, and Devontae Adams, and that peak championship window in the NFL rarely lasts longer than three years. And the Packers were in the NFC Championship the year before. Last year was their best chance to win the Super Bowl. This year, theoretically, should be a lesser chance for them to win the Super Bowl. Yet them and the Buccaneers are still considered the top of the NFC at this point. So by virtue of the Saints and the Packers, who you could make the argument, considering that the Rams were the fourth team to make it to the final eight from the NFC, that those were the three best teams in the NFL last year, the Saints, the Packers, and the Buccaneers. And so by product of the Saints and Packers getting worse year over year, and part of that's just it's really hard for the Packers to replicate the success they had last year, it's almost impossible to go 13-3 and again if you're Green Bay, or 14-2, and which would now be 14-3, and I guess, or 15-2, and but it's just really hard to do that. So... Tampa Bay is technically a better team than they were last year only because Tampa Bay finished with an 11 and 5 record. This Tampa Bay team should be better than that team last year and probably the number 1 seed projected coming out of the NFC, but it's super early to figure that out. The NFC's weird like that. Maybe someone will take a next step and jump them. Maybe it's the Rams, maybe it's the Seahawks, maybe it's the Cardinals, maybe it's the I don't know, the Minnesota Vikings, dare I say. They don't have a good enough defense, but dare I say it. Someone might take the leap, and we just don't know about it yet. But Tampa Bay is going to coast through their division, and they're going to get to the playoffs. And while they probably are a super team, they are the Super Bowl champions who just brought back everyone on the defense and offensive side of the ball. They are in that territory that super teams have, which is that the regular season does not matter. For Kansas City, the regular season does not matter. The only games that matter are the three games, or maybe four if they don't get the number one seed, the four games that they're going to play in January and February. The entire season is a build-up to that point. It's about staying healthy. It's about not taking too much of a risk. It's about getting to that playoff and winning those four games because Kansas City is so dominant and there's no question that they're going to be either a number one, a number two, or if a weird tiebreaker comes into play, a number three seed in the AFC. And the same is true for the Buccaneers now. And so as I'm saying it out loud, maybe if it looks like a super team and it quacks like a super team, maybe it is a super team. But Tampa Bay does not have to worry about this first part of the regular season. And this is the part where this Tampa Bay team can stop being fun. Because Tampa Bay is a really fun team. Tom Brady threw for 40 touchdowns last year. Leonard Fournette had a career revival, and he's been so fun across the years to watch when healthy and when not having some sort of mental health issue. If you've read anything about Leonard Fournette, he's been a really fascinating player for many, many years now. And so... You have all these wide receivers. You have a defense that can apply pressure with four. You've got the best linebacking core in the NFL. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are really fun. And a bunch of NFL fans, and maybe part of this is running a meme page, 
you guys can make it not fun this year. Everyone in the, the audience and analysis can make this not fun. Because if we start taking every Buccaneers win with the Tom Brady greatness and giving that level of credit, I'm going to get angry, especially if the numbers don't back up that reality, which they didn't last year. Now, Tom Brady went berserk in some of those later games where they had the win streak, but also played poorly in a number of them. And so this is the part that's going to be infuriating, is if people do the thing that they always do with Tom Brady, which kind of sets up for them to do it again, but I just don't want the Tom Brady greatness to be elevated because the Buccaneers are doing well or because the Buccaneers have done anything well because it's really freaking annoying. It's really, really annoying when you make Tom Brady the second highest Madden rating when probably he's in the club around where Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford are. It's like the eighth and ninth best quarterbacks in the NFL. It gets really annoying when people talk about, well, Tom Brady's a winner. And so the Buccaneers, you know, they, yeah, Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers are winners. Or I'm sorry, Tom Brady's a winner over them and Patrick Mahomes when Patrick Mahomes has done literally nothing but win his entire NFL career. And Aaron Rodgers, relatively speaking, has done more winning over the last 20 years than anyone not named Tom Brady. And so... This is the bar that has been set. This is the bar people are going to bring in. And it's going to be really annoying when people do the Tom Brady stuff. And I'm prepared for it to happen. It's not like it's the end of the world. And if if I know it's going to happen, I'm only setting myself up to be angered. But this is a connection that can be made to larger society as a whole. If people are talking nonsense... We do not have to entertain it. This was the perfect case with QAnon, is that because enough people started to believe in something, all of a sudden, we all started following it. And we don't have to do that. If someone is speaking nonsense, if someone is a Russian bot on Twitter, you do not have to pay attention to that. You do not have to give it breath. You do not have to give it thought. We do not have to pay attention to people. And this is something that we struggle with because all of a sudden this is how vocal minorities in whatever case it may be, whether it's pro-Trump, anti-Trump, anti-Biden, pro-Biden, no, uh, whether it's QAnon, whether it's white supremacy, whatever it may be, vocal minorities often dictate the conversation. This happens a lot of times with Um, propaganda machines, whether that be conservative radio, whether it be Fox News, whether it be certain personalities on Twitter trying to be flamboyant. In sports, this happens all the time when it comes to LeBron James conversations, um, where people who still bash LeBron James and, and avidly defend Michael Jordan are loud but also have some sway and influence over the general population when in reality we should be making we should be taking a mindset that it is possible if not happening that something in modernity can be better than something that happened in the past 
This was uh, th- I was watching the shop the other day on HBO, which is LeBron's show. No, this I see the irony in this, um, but I, I I record it on my phone for every month, and they had. Um, Jamel Hill talking on the show and one of the things that she talked about was that it's been 25 years since Tupac was murdered and we should be looking for the next Tupac at a certain point because Tupac can't live on forever because all of a sudden there isn't an emotional connection to him other than tribalism passing it down to children. I was born five years after Tupac was killed. So I didn't grow up with that type of music. Now, do I listen to 90s rap? Absolutely. It's part of my diet of music, but I'm not going to say it's the greatest music genre of all time, just like I'm not going to say anything in modernity is the greatest music genre of all time. It's just accepting that Drake can be better than Jay-Z. Like, uh, I think it was Trey Young that put that out there on Twitter and got kind of blasted a bit. But again, if we just accept that people in modernity can be better than that in the past, then we can have an actual conversation. Otherwise, it's just Tom Brady greatness, Tom Brady greatness all season long. And that's not fun. It's not fun at all. And this is part of what made me fade out of football in the first place. It was a lot of... Patriots winning, Patriots winning, boring football, having other priorities on my afternoons, um, watching NFL Red Zone, but, you know, wanting to go outside and play football maybe, or wanting to go shoot baskets or hang out with my friends during high school. And it was Patrick Mahomes that brought me back into a renewed vow with football. And then the following season, we started covering the NFL in 2019, and it's been this momentous ride since doing 702 podcasts, three podcasts. We're over 700 podcasts now. So this is part of that ride is that Patrick Mahomes brought me back into football. I love Patrick Mahomes. Hence, if you're wondering why he's on the cover of our podcast, it's because I am uh, hitching my wagon to Mahomes and riding that for the next 10 years of greatness and content creation. But Accepting the possibility that Patrick Mahomes can be more talented than Aaron Rodgers, who can be more talented than Tom Brady, is important to acknowledge that it's at least a possibility. And it's going to make the season more fun if we don't put too much stock in one person or one storyline, because otherwise it's just unhealthy. It's not fun. If you root for the team, That's okay, but even within teams, everyone builds out tons of different storylines, which is why I talk about this with Cam all the time. It's part of the reason we love football. We love the NFL for that reason, is that it's like a soap opera every week, and you've got 32 different storylines, and each of those storylines has storylines built in between, and storylines branch across teams, like rookie quarterbacks that get everyone excited, or running back rankings or wide receivers or top corners in the NFL who could win defensive player of the year. Now I'm giving like boring ones, but still they're storylines people care about. And then we can make jokes. We can make meme pages over it. We can make sarcastic humor around games and a shared experience. And we're going to do that tonight for sure with the, the Cowboys and Buccaneers game when everyone comes back to their television sets to watch the NFL it's going to be 
really, really fun. And this is the important part, is that we don't want people to ruin it by being the -the over-the-top Tom Brady people. And I get it. If you are a fan, masking it in respect, I think that's fair. But I think at a certain point, maybe you're showing not enough respect to everyone else. Not that you're showing too much respect to Tom Brady, but just that there's an imbalance there at a certain point. You have to acknowledge that Tom Brady is, as much as the evidence may be contrary, Tom Brady is still a human. Tom Brady is still a quarterback in his 40s who cannot do the things that other quarterbacks can, and that's perfectly okay. It doesn't make Tom Brady any more or less great. He played on a great team last year. He was good enough. Just barely good enough, but good enough. And if one result switches, if Matt LeFleur goes for it on fourth down with two minutes to go, maybe, just maybe, we're crushing Tom Brady for throwing four interceptions or three straight interceptions in that NFC championship game. Maybe that's the case. But it's not enough to appreciate one and diminish the other. So let's not do the Tom Brady thing this year that we always do. Let's not do the massive glorification. Let's not make Tom Brady greater than he is. Especially because I don't know what stats he's going to put up this year. Maybe they're MVP level numbers. Maybe we get lazy and give it to best player on best team. Or maybe the Tom Brady love and over respect has infiltrated so deeply that we're getting ready to vote for a QAnon MVP. And again, I haven't seen what the stats are going to be for Tom Brady this year. I find it hard to believe that he's going to throw for 50 touchdowns this year, but I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility. If you would have told me last year Aaron Rodgers was going to throw 48 touchdowns and win MVP, I probably would have thought that was weird because I thought the Packers were going to win 9 or 10 games, but Aaron Rodgers single-handedly added a bunch of wins to the Packers' win total. So maybe it doesn't happen this year. Maybe it does. But at the very least, can we just not be annoying about it? I know it's a lot to ask, especially people who really respect Tom Brady. Can we just not be annoying about Tom Brady this year? Can we just talk about Mahomes and Josh Allen in the same respects that we talk about Tom Brady? We can talk about the Patriots with a level of respect and what they've done in the past, but look at what the Patriots are now. They're kind of above average. And Tom Brady's kind of above average on a team that's going to support him better than the New England Patriots supported him. And isn't that ultimately the reason why people leave in free agency? It's just to find better situations to find greener grasses, to be happier. Tom Brady looks a whole lot happier. Or at least he's enjoying football more. I don't know which one it is. Maybe he's happier because of his surroundings. I don't know if he enjoys football more now than he did with the Patriots. But it's still better to have a support system because then you don't have to stress about things that are out of your control. It's good to be supported. The Buccaneers have supported Tom Brady really well. And he's been an above-average quarterback as a result when he played worse than Mitchell Trubisky in 2019 when the Patriots did not support him. And that's how the aging process ultimately works. So 
maybe there's a maybe there's a better support system there for Tom Brady this year, and maybe he'll put up even better numbers. Maybe he'll throw 45 touchdowns and have under 10 interceptions. Maybe the Buccaneers will win 14 games, and we just give Tom Brady the MVP for being best player on the best team. Who knows? But regardless of how it goes, could we just not be super annoying about it? If Tom Brady's on the road to winning MVP, or at least he's in the conversation, could we just say... Tom Brady's in the conversation. Could we not make a big deal about how insane it is? It is truly insane that someone at 44 could do such a thing. But let's not be over the top about it. It's going to make the NFL more fun for everyone. It's going to make the NFL more fun, especially for people who are fans of other players and enjoy other players. Because all of a sudden, if you're too obnoxious about it, people are going to hate you. People are going to find you annoying more than they already do. Sorry, that was a little backhanded slap right there at the end. You know I couldn't get through this without being sarcastic. So, uh, Also, the Buccaneers are going to whoop up on the Cowboys tonight. But we are joined now by our buddy RJ from Blogging the Boys on SB Nation. He is actually the editor over there, so he knows his stuff. And uh, as you'll hear me talk about right now, he's got an awesome setup of Cowboys swag and merch and stuff like that in his background. So let's talk to RJ to preview NFL Game 1 of 272. I got to get used to saying 272 instead of 256. Love all the footballs, helmets. This guy, yeah. this guy, really loves the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, just uh, another day. So um, obviously a busy week. So looking forward to uh, to Thursday night. Obviously, yeah, Cowboys kicking it off against the Buccaneers, and uh, <laughs> we'll we'll drop this on uh, the day that the Cowboys play, so people will get the uh, get the preview before the game itself. I guess so. Uh, feeling good about that. Um, so do you want to just off the bat, tell people about what you're doing, just get that on the front end so that we can support your stuff. Sure. I mean, um, you know, I, uh, I run blog SB nation's home for Dallas Cowboys content. And so, um, we've got our website, we've got our podcast network, uh, we've got our YouTube channel. And so, um, we've got a, a lot of Cowboys content coming all the time every day, uh, just because things are always happening with the Cowboys. So um, we're excited that football season's here, and we're, uh, we're pumped uh, to kind of uh, get this thing going. Yeah, and things are always happening, but especially right now, things are always happening because not only do you guys play the first game of the season, but also Dak Prescott's battling injuries. Zach Martin's now out for the first game. So literally right now, there is a lot of stuff happening with the Dallas Cowboys. That's uh, it's a good time to be covering the team, I guess. Yeah, it's been a hectic couple of days, and um, you know this week certainly looks like it's going to be interesting as well. The Zach Martin thing, obviously unfortunate, and um, you know throws a, a huge wrinkle um, in, into the week in, in terms of what the Cowboys were preparing for and whatnot. And so uh, it's tough. And you know, I know Tom Brady said in his interview with the Tampa Bay Times that he expects COVID to play a larger role this NFL season than it did last year. And so, you know, the Cowboys, as an example, already have more people that they've placed on the reserve COVID-19 list just this season. And we're only, you know, at week one um, than they had than they did all of last season. So it's, it's already impacting the Cowboys more. And, and you certainly wonder how it's going to impact the rest of the league. Did, were the Cowboys considered to be like a deep team at the start of the season? Because I'm thinking back to their depth chart now and I'm thinking there are certain positions where 
they've obviously got the depth or at least the upper hand in certain places. And then I go to the defense and I'm like, they don't even have 11 starting caliber players. So I don't know what depth is there for the Cowboys. Yeah, that's something they focused on. Um, They had 11 draft picks, actually, and they spent uh, nine of them on the defensive side of the ball, including their first six. Uh, It was the first time in Cowboys franchise history that they spent the first six picks of a draft on defense. Um, They drafted Michael Parsons. I think everybody knows that. And he's he's looked, you know, certainly very impressive uh, throughout the preseason and training camp. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, their depth is is certainly being tested. Their second-round draft pick, Kelvin Joseph, uh, their rookie cornerback, is on IR for now. Uh, he's going to miss the first two weeks at least, obviously. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think they have enough, uh, enough to be entertaining. Um, but, but the moment any sort of injury strikes, it, it does seem like at least defensively they're, I wouldn't say one, one strike away, but they have some depth at linebacker. They have some depth along the defensive line, but it's a little bit of an un, unproven depth. And so you wonder exactly how big of a factor it could play if it's ultimately called upon. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned the draft part of it because when I think of the Cowboys in the NFL draft, I think back to 2020 because they were something we talked about a lot where they obviously had the glaring needs on defense. They were trying to figure out what is the game plan there. And they drafted CD lamb because he just fell into their lap. And then they came out and had like the 32nd ranked scoring defense in the NFL last year. And so now they pivoted on the other side of that traded down, got a couple extra picks and Oh no, wait, they traded up to get Micah Parsons. Is that correct? They traded back. They traded no, they back did trade to, back. Right, with yeah. the Eagles, and they picked up an extra third-round pick in the process. That's what I thought. I I, for, I was doubting myself for a second, and then I remembered they started with the 10th pick and moved to 12. So they, they get all those extra picks, and like looking back now, they don't regret drafting CeeDee Lamb at this point, right, given that last year was kind of a throwaway season with the bad defense. I think that, you know, the CD pick made sense. Um, you know, the Cow- it didn't look like the Cowboys had a glaring need a wide receiver, obviously, but they want to play out of 11 personnel and they didn't have a third receiver that was reliable. And so they were really, really linked to Caleb on chase on the edge rusher that went to Jacksonville out of LSU last year. And so, you know, like looking at it now, you know, I don't think there's a team in the NFL that would rather have Caleb on chase on CD lamb. Um, but but last year, the Cowboys were all about value and all about who's the best player on our board. And that that led, you know, a lot of people thought they would take Trayvon Diggs in the first round. He obviously fell to them in the second round. Uh, a lot of people liked Xavier McKinney. A lot of people just liked uh, like Grant Delpit. I mean, people were connecting a lot of defensive backs to the Cowboys last year. And so um, CD just just wound up making sense, wound up being there, wound up being spectacular. And so it was just kind of a pick that made sense for them. And this year, I think that, you know, I think that was kind of what happened ultimately. It just so happened to be a defensive player because, you know, the Cowboys really, really wanted one of the top two corners in the draft and Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn, who went to two picks before they, they selected. Uh, but, you know, that kind of sent everything into chaos a little bit. And that's why they traded back. Uh, and obviously, and, and I think a, an underrated part of the trade is it was, it was obvious that the Giants were going to take Devontae Smith if the Cowboys chose, you know, Micah at 10. Um, but the Cowboys were able to determine where they wanted Devontae Smith to go to because obviously Philadelphia traded up and drafted him. So uh, it wasn't exactly two birds, one stones, but or one stone, but an interesting sort of result nonetheless. Um, I think Micah was was truly the best defensive player available for them. And I don't know of any offensive player that was better than him at that point in time, except for maybe Rashawn Slater. But they you do feel confident in their tackles. And right now, Lyle Collins is a bit of a question mark. So you could, you know, debate whether that was founded in, in stability or not. But 
um, it's it's going to be an interesting ride for them. And, and hopefully Micah Parsons goes a long way at kind of stabilizing it all. And you mentioned the secondary a second ago, and they've changed the secondary room almost altogether. Um, obviously, Keanu Neal, DeMonte Casey, Malik Hooker, guys like that coming in. But did they get like significantly better? And do you think that that's something the Bucks can take advantage of, which obviously Tampa Bay likes to move the ball down the field, rely on one-on-one matchups with guys like Godwin and Evans. You think that's going to be a problem on Thursday? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, their secondary is really inexperienced, um, especially without Kelvin Joseph out there. It's Trayvon Diggs, who's, who's the best corner on the team, but still in his second season. Anthony Brown, kind of a journeyman. Jordan Lewis is, is a journeyman in their slot corner. Um, after that, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, a mixed bag. Maurice Kennedy's there, but he opted out last season in what would have been his first year with the Cowboys. Uh, so it's his first season playing with the team. They do have their third round pick in Sean Ride, who looked okay at different times in training camp in the preseason as well. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, in the Cowboys did land Micah Parsons and that's been awesome. And people are really excited about him. Lots of people think that he'll be defensive rookie of the year. But they did miss out on Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn. And their secondary looks like they could use a Patrick Sertan or a J.C. Horn. Yeah, like Micah Parsons is probably, at least from what I've been hearing, we have like draft people. I'm not going to pretend like I'm sitting down watching game film myself. But uh, Micah Parsons seemed to be the most talented defensive player in the draft. And the fact that the Cowboys traded down and got him is exactly what you're saying, where they are just getting for value. Like position is not as important. Need is not as important. Let's just get the value in the let's get the talented players in the room and and maybe we'll hit on one of these like generational type talents with picks that don't come in the top five because i know they drafted zeke but other than that i don't think the cowboys have had a top five or ten pick across the last decade no this was the highest uh with them sitting at 10 before they traded back to 12 and so um you could debate the utilization of their those resources with, with the highest pick they've had they've taken a, a running back and a linebacker which are conventionally not the wisest utilization of top 10 picks yeah and that gets a lot easier when you happen to be the team that gets the star quarterback in the fourth round which across the last decade i think like them and russell wilson are the only teams that won that lottery the way that they did so it it helps at the very least but yeah you can expend a pick on a running back a, a very good running back like Ezekiel Elliott's no schlump like it wasn't a terrible pick at number 4 it's just a position that doesn't provide as much value yeah i think um i think Kirk Cousins was a fourth round pick just depending on how how you know good you see him you know view him to be but but yeah, yeah it's it's difficult it's difficult to find somebody um who's a legitimate contributor outside of the the first two rounds even even really the first round and so, um, yeah, I mean, the Cowboys have, have, for the most part, spent their first-round picks wisely, uh, gotten lucky a few times, like C.D. Lamb last year, Zach Martin seven years ago, but ultimately they wind up being pretty solid players. Yeah, and this is the part that the Cowboys do get a lot of crap about, is about the fact that they always kind of stay in the middle. And the thing I say a lot is, like, it's really hard to draft generational talents in the middle of the draft because everyone wants to do that. Everyone in the middle of the draft wants to get generational talents. And it's, it's really hard. Like you have to luck into a Justin Jefferson every now and then, or luck into a Lamar Jackson. It's really hard to get those types of players in the middle of the draft. And the Cowboys might've done that with CD lamb and like trading a first round pick for Amari Cooper. But again, those are positions that don't provide as much value and 
I love both of those moves ultimately for the Cowboys and it it's worked out pretty well so far. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting to see what they're, or to think about what their offense is going to be this season with a full and healthy Dak Prescott. And that's kind of the proof of concept that a lot of people are still waiting to see. So going over to the Bucks game, because I am interested in the game itself coming up on Thursday. Well, I guess today, by the time people are listening to this. Um, so Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl was great at rushing four and the Cowboys offensive line is certainly stronger than the Chiefs. But other than like ability to rush four, what's the part that you look at and say, this is how the Cowboys offense is going to be stopped? Because I think that this is one of those games headed towards like both teams scoring in the 30s. I mean, the, the right side of the Cowboys offensive line is, is really suspect right now. Obviously, with Zach Martin's COVID situation um, and, and Lyle Collins, the Cowboys starting right tackle, has had a couple of stingers over the last couple of weeks that have, have really kind of made people worried about him. And so I, I think that's the point to attack is, is the right side of the Cowboys offensive line and get Zach Prescott moving. Uh, that's that's kind of what every Cowboys fan is a little bit worried and panicking about is just this is his first live game action since being injured and he's down his best offensive lineman. And so um, that's difficult against any NFL team, let alone one that has a stout pass rush like Tampa Bay does. Could you update people on the Dak Prescott situation just because it's it's been kind of fluid because obviously there's the gigantic injury to his ankle we all saw, but then. I mean, if people are watching Hard Knocks, you saw the first episode, he was battling the arm injury that kept him out for most of camp. Yeah, Dak is, is a full go. He's ready to go. Um, the Cowboys have been really patient about it, waiting for week one. And so now they're here and, and now it's kind of time to, to see what, you know, see what this is all about. So he's he's a full go. All things are normal as far as Dak Prescott is concerned. Okay, so for week one, he's supposed to be at 100% and we're going to get to see finally one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL get to play again, which at the very least I'm excited about because I I am excited to see what that Cowboys offense does in full force technically for the first time because we had like those five games at the start of last year, but it wasn't the best version of Ezekiel Elliott or at the very least I think a better version of Ezekiel Elliott is coming this year and now you get to put Amari Cooper and CD Lamb on the field at the same time, so it should be fun to watch the Cowboys offense. Yeah, I mean, um, it's last year got off on the left foot, obviously for everybody. Um, but you know, the Cowboys, you know, I think by the time they were just kind of starting to stabilize was when Dak got hurt. Uh, they were constantly playing catch up in games just because of the state of their, their defense. But uh, it does seem like things are going to be a little bit more normal for them all the way around, at least this season. So I'm gonna I'm gonna phrase this this way: the reason the Cowboys are going to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday is blank. I, I think it's, it would be Dak Prescott. It, it would be, you know, we've seen great quarterbacks overcome bad offensive line play. Sometimes it's not possible, like in the last game the Buccaneers played. Um, but I think Dak would have to have an incredible game, an incredible level of authority, just an incredible diagnosis of what the Buccaneers are doing. Um, and I wouldn't say it has to be perfect or has to be flawless, but, but just has to be in control and has to be the quarterback that we've seen him be. Uh, over the course of 2019 and obviously the early parts of 2020. Um, and, and I think he has to do his part. I, I think, you know, I, I don't know that – I certainly don't doubt the, the Tampa offense, but um, it, with it being week one, um, you know, there's still a little bit of rust that has to be knocked off and things like that. And so I don't know that you're getting them, uh, you know, while they're sort of in rhythm, so to speak. And so I think this Cowboys defense has a chance to hold on 
Uh, they've certainly got to do their part, but um, but Dak Prescott will be the driving force. Dak Prescott's 350 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, both teams scoring in the 30s, which I feel like has been every Cowboys game for the last two years, is going to be the reason they win. Yeah, they actually haven't won a game um, in about three years without scoring more than 30 points. Um, which just, you know, proves, proves how, um, how poor their defense has been. It's generally score at least 30 just to have a chance uh, for the Dallas Cowboys, which is unfortunate. I'm going to save that stat in my back pocket. Like, I'm going to log that somewhere in the back of my brain so I can pull out that the Cowboys haven't won a game in three years without scoring 30 points. That's truly unbelievable. And at I, honestly, that's impeccable that the Cowboys. I mean, I've just been saying it as a joke forever. Them and the Falcons are just both teams scoring in the 30s and throwing three touchdowns and 350 yards. And then last year they had that that game where like the Falcons were up by 16 and then the Cowboys marched back and had the the weird onside kick. And in that moment, I'm like, this is the culmination of four years of Falcons and Cowboys just scoring 40 points every single game. <laughs> Yeah, it's been, uh, I don't know if it's been quite three years, but it's definitely been a long stretch of time. So um, it's been a rough go for the Cowboys. Okay, so last question I have for you, and this has nothing to do with the game or anything like that. Just how cool was it to see your team on Hard Knocks this year? Because I gave up after episode one, but I've been turned off by Hard Knocks since the Raiders season when they didn't give us the Antonio Brown content. So how cool was it? It's been fun. I, I enjoy hard knocks no matter who's on it. I, I just, you know, I love this time of year. And so I, I really enjoy kind of the countdown to the season that it provides. Um, it's, I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's received its fair share of criticism, but I feel like we've seen more from star players than we generally do from hard knocks. There's been a lot of Dak. There's been a lot of Micah. There's been a lot of Mike McCarthy. There's been a lot of Zeke, uh, Demarcus Lawrence, Trayvon Diggs, who's a really quiet player has been a part of this. And so, I do think that we've gotten to see those players while also getting to see the kind of on-the-bubble roster guys. It's also been a unique year uh, with with the preseason being shortened to three games and then the bye week. Um, what you and I were recording on Monday. Uh, tomorrow on Tuesday is actually the final episode of Hard Knocks, even though roster cuts have already happened. Uh, so it's just kind of a wonky time um, and, and a new time for Hard Knocks. But, but altogether, I've really enjoyed it. I didn't even know Hard Knocks was still going on. I, I thought the last episode was last week, but I guess that makes sense because of roster cut day. But uh, I don't remember it cutting that close to the season, but I guess it does. So uh, I, you did bring up one more thing that I forgot, and it's that tractor driver, Mike McCarthy. How do you guys feel about Mike McCarthy going into year two? I think there's, you know, there's obviously a sense of hope. I think, um, you know, again, everybody dealt with the challenges of last year. Uh, but it's, you know, Mike McCarthy, wh- whether you believe in him or not, you know, he spent the entire 2019 season planning, you know, for his return. He, he developed a plan, whether you believe in that plan, whether you don't, he devoted an entire year of his life towards building a plan. And on like day six last year, that was completely thrown out the window with all uh, the social distancing and protocols and whatnot that we were still dealing with, obviously, a year and a half later. And so, I feel for him in that sense. I, I, I imagine that would be difficult. And obviously that's not an excuse, uh, but it is a relevant data point, I think, to just throw out and to discuss. You know, I think he, you know, being the head coach of the Green Bay Packers is obviously a big deal. 
But I think he, even he himself underestimated the spotlight that comes with being the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I think he is a really confident person. Um, but, but I think that he's realized that if he says certain things, people take them certain ways and run with them certain ways. And so he's really changed his, his approach and his disposition have been much different in this second season than they were last year. Um, and so I, I think he gets that now. And, you know, he's certainly, you know, not without mistakes. He hired his buddy, Mike Nolan, to be the team's defensive coordinator that blew up in his face. Uh, I don't think he's on a hot seat. I don't think if they don't make the playoffs, he'd be fired. I think it would take uh, an absolute collapse of a situation where, um, you know, the, there were reports within the locker room of, of the team, you know, being discontent, things like that. It would take a true and utter collapse, I think, for him to be fired. But uh, this season is really, you know, I think everyone's willing to say, okay, last year was super weird. Quarterback got hurt. Your tackles were gone. Your linebacker got hurt. You had all this stuff going on, and you still only finished a game outside the division. Uh, you know, with, ev- with, with, the, with everything calmed down, what can you do? And I think people are, are at the very least interested to find out the answer to that. I think the other way that this whole thing blows up is if the fan base does what the Giants do and gets Ben McAdoo fired for being right. I think that's another thing where just the fans stage a mutiny against the coach, which I don't think that's I don't think it's going to escalate to that point. I don't think the Cowboys are going to fall off a table, especially in that division. But I think the biggest victory for Mike McCarthy is that Kellen Moore is still the offensive coordinator and that he didn't end up taking the Boise state job. I think the fact that they've got him as OC is a big victory. That was really surprising when that didn't happen. A lot of people were really shocked, not only that Kellen didn't take that job, but that he got a three-year extension with the Cowboys. And so uh, Kellen Moore's on a three-year deal, a new deal. Uh, Dan Quinn's on a three-year deal. So that's what I think the the window of Mike McCarthy is, at least during his time with the Dallas Cowboys. I think he's got a year to two years to kind of figure this out and stabilize things. And, you know, he also had the Dak contract, you know, hanging every, every turn last year was, is that, are you going to pay Dak? Is Dak going to get paid? Whatever, et cetera. Uh, the franchise tag and whatnot. And so all of that is now behind this team. Um, they're now dealing with new challenges like Zach Martin, obviously, uh, but you know, Mike McCarthy has got to be able to handle some of them. And, and thankfully most of them are behind him, but, uh, there's probably a lot more coming down the bend. The Cowboys have a blank percent chance to win on Thursday. I would say like a 30 to 40% chance. I mean, again, it's, it's week one. And so it's, it's different now, you know, this is a really unique game. Um, I mean, just in terms of NFL history and that it's, it's everybody having fans back. It's, the first time a team is raising a Super Bowl banner in the stadium that they wanted in, um, you know, there's a lot of emotions that are, are going on here. It's it's Dak Prescott's return. Um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a nor- it's enormous amount of things happening, and so I, I certainly think it's possible. I don't know that it's quite a coin flip. Uh, the Cowboys have played in this slot before, visiting a team um, raising a Super Bowl banner in 2012 when they played the New York Giants and they won that game. And so they've definitely done it before. Uh, it just remains to be seen if they can do it. This is probably their hardest game of the season, ultimately. Um, and so the fact that they're getting it out of the way week one, the fact that, you know, nobody else will have as much time to prepare to play the Buccaneers as, as they have. Um, and so, you know, there, there are some nice twists to it, but um, it's not impossible by any means. What division do you guys play over in the AFC this year? Are you guys AFC South this year? or the, a- the AFC West. Okay, you guys have AFC West. Yeah, I guess this might be the hardest game of the season. Now that you mention it, I think it might well, be. The Cowboys visit the Chargers next week in week two. And so, you know, those are two of their three hardest games. The third's obviously against the Chiefs. 
And kind of like the Bucks, they, they get a week and a half to prepare for the Chargers. And so um, I think a lot of Cowboys fans have kind of just accepted if, if they go one and one in these first two weeks, um, you know, I, I think you're, they're set up for a nice, you know, nice softer landing. Uh, the quarterbacks they play this season outside of those three again, I mean, they get to play Teddy Bridgewater and Derek Carr and Jameis Winston and Daniel Jones twice and Ryan Fitzpatrick twice and Jalen Hurts twice. And so, um, you know, there are, there are brighter days ahead, even if they lose this game. Yeah. I think after those three games, the next hardest quarterback is like Matt Ryan, which is a pretty good schedule to have. So no, I think that's well said. Yeah. So RJ, thank you for staying on a little longer too. So we got into Mike McCarthy talk, which is always fun because Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy invokes strong emotions over on our side, just because he, the, the greatest indictment of his career is that he only has one Super Bowl ring. So, uh, thank you again and, uh, good luck to you. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.